we're cramming too much on our firefighters and expecting too much. And I think that increases the risk because uh, it's hard to be a jack of all trades. Being uh, you know, expected to respond to all of these particular events requires a lot of expertise and time. And I just don't see the time available to get it all done in a workshop. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Let's talk safety. Or rather, let's talk risk, because we know firefighting isn't safe. Risks are all about choices. The objective is to make the choices that minimize risk. There are good ways and bad ways to do this, and my guest today said we need to select more good ways. David Kane retired as a deputy chief at the Boulder, Colorado Fire Department, where he served for 34 years. He's a consultant for PSTracks.com, a technology service that helps fire departments automate their apparatus, equipment, and inventory. And David Kane, welcome to Code 3. Well, thanks for having me. Well, good to have you. What are the biggest sources of risk in today's fire service? I, I've looked at this a long time since I retired, and uh, I think there's several factors that have increased the risk. And one of, one of those things is that I think fire departments are being called upon to do too many things. You know, it's, it's not really a fire department anymore. It's, a, it's kind of a catch-all place that... We do not only firefighting, but we have to be prepared for wildland, especially where, where we live. You have hazardous materials response. You have trench rescue, high angle. Uh, you've got inspections to do. You've got training to do. And it's it's we're cramming too much on our firefighters and expecting too much. And I think that increases the risk because uh, it's hard to be a jack of all trades. Being uh, you know expected to respond to all of these particular events requires a lot of expertise and time. And I just don't see the time available to get it all done in a work shift. So that's kind of it in a nutshell for me. Now, a lot of fire service officers like to refer to their department as all risk or all hazard. Who do you think should take over some of these extra roles other than firefighting? Well, I I think it, it probably still is a fire service task. I would say, though, there are some different models that I've seen out there where you could do some uh, joint teams. For example, in Boulder, we had a joint team with uh, Longmont, which is just a little bit north of Boulder, and we had a joint hazmat team. And so we could help each other out. If we were busy with something and a, a second call came down, we had these mutual aid agreements in place to help each other out. So that's one way. The other way is to is to actually create, like they do in some of the bigger cities, 
teams that are just special operations. And that's where it gets hard. It's it's hard to just take one engine and, and or uh, rescue a vehicle and just put it into special operations because uh, we do have a special operations team. But to do that, you have to take them off the fire trucks. It's one of those things that at some point you have to decide what you want to be as a fire department within your own jurisdiction and understanding the multiple risks that you do have in your city. And it becomes more of a problem when you consider that a smaller department has fewer people, so each person has to have more skills and has to train on more skills, and as you point out, they don't necessarily get that training. That's that's correct. And then they also don't get, you know, you don't get a lot of reps. You know, hazardous materials is one. I was on the hazmat team, and I mean, we had several calls a year because we had a city that had a lot of hazardous material potentials with the with the industries that were there. We didn't have a lot of calls, but we trained at it and we worked hard at it. But what I'm seeing is just this gradual stress level that we're putting on firefighters to do too many things. And, and I, I don't have a clear-cut answer. Some of the things, for example, uh, sending fire engines out to do code inspections might be something to, to look at you know, hiring civilians possibly to do that. But that took take, takes a lot of time to, to take your trucks out of service and go out and do inspections and do school programs. And I mean, it's just uh, it's just becoming too much to do. And, and, I, and I'm worried is that we're we're expecting too much out of these guys and gals and, and bad things will happen. And that's where I was going next. What bad things could happen as a result of this? there's nothing safe about being a firefighter. The problem is, is sometimes then other things don't get done. And in my company, I, I consult with PS Tracks and we talk a lot about, you know, taking care of equipment because I see the synergy of response is, is kind of a twofold thing. It's not only just the firefighters being ready, but you have to have all of your equipment constantly ready to go. And I have seen, again, through my time since I've been retired, a lot of cases where we're not we're not doing the right things with our equipment. We're not checking the trucks as, as thoroughly as we can. And and again, as I said, you know, some departments, guys don't even put on their seatbelts. I've 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 seen through some of the trade shows I've gone to what poor maintenance results in. And if you if you don't have the fire engine and all the equipment to do the job, you're basically putting yourself at risk and the citizens that expect you to arrive and, and do your job. I'll be back with more right after this. When that call comes in and you rush to head out, the last thing you're thinking about is your safety. But your safety is all Federal Resources thinks about. At Federal Resources, we work to make sure that every responder is equipped, trained, and ready to come home safely. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. So you're saying that these firefighters get so busy doing other things that they don't have time to care for the gear and the apparatus? That That's the possibility, yes. And I, and I think, you know, it has to become uh, a priority for not just for firefighters, but if you look at other professions, even truck drivers, they do a pre-check routine on their truck every time they get in it. Pilots do the same thing, right? So, you know, we're no different. We need to make sure that that truck is ready to go. And 
again, with, with larger departments, where, and I don't know where the cutoff is, we need to have dedicated a logistics chief that, that basically oversees all the programs. Because, again, when you look at just the trucks themselves and all the equipment that has to be checked on them, you have your bunker gear, you have your hose testing, your ladder testing, your pump testing, you have your EMT equipment, you have the stations themselves that need to be checked, you have to manage your air pack systems, um, your bottles. I mean, it it is a it's a it's a big very big undertaking to keep all of those things ready to go. I hear what you're saying, but to play the other side of it, I'm sure there are going to be chiefs listening to this saying, sure, but we're not FDNY. There's no way we have enough people or money to do all this. So what steps can be taken by a smaller department to, to try to avoid some of the risk? Well, I, th- I think one of the things is is if you have a good safety program for your equipment and you do it on a regular basis, the chances are that you'll one, you'll get quicker at, and better at doing it, and it doesn't take that long to do a quick truck check every day. You know, NF, NFPA has some pretty strict guidelines on, on what needs to be checked. If, if we don't do it, you know, again, I always say, you know, structure fire, whether it's in New York or if it's in Boulder, Colorado, or some other small town, the fire doesn't care, right? The fire is the fire, and, and our ability to respond and, and put the fire out quickly is really the goal of the fire service. So if, if you can't count on your equipment to be there when you need it, you're going to end up either yourself getting hurt or doing some, some bad things, some making bad choices. But one of the other things I've learned is, you know, firefighters will do whatever they need to do. And then if they don't have, you know, the right tools at the time, that's, that's how they get hurt or killed. You know, it sometimes seems as if the fire service as a whole is reactive to risk rather than proactive toward it. Do you find that to be true? Yes, I think we are. We we keep, uh, like I said, piling things on. And for example, I'll give you another good example: is these active shooter, the whole scenario of you know of putting firefighters, you know, and putting bunker gear on the truck. And now we're going to add body armor and helmets. And you know, these aren't necessarily the big big cities, but this has become a big issue: is is dealing with, you know, people with the guns. And where does the fire service fit into all of that? As a SWAT medic, I was the first SWAT medic for the city. I got a good sense of what that, that involves, and that's, that's, a, that's a big undertaking for sure. And it requires equipment and training, and where is the time to do all this stuff? Well, therein lies the problem. Even if you have the people to do the job, you have to have the time to train them. Plus, they have to have recurrent training to keep their skills up. I think that may be part of the problem. If you have, let's say, somebody training for an active shooter situation in a small city, and then they don't respond to an active shooter situation, but maybe once a year or less, they're going to be rusty. That's right. You're absolutely right. You know, and again, the, the actual amount of structure fires in a lot of areas is, is has decreased quite a bit because of, you know, safer, you know, building codes and, and, and the, the, the way we build our houses and, and inspect them. But they still happen. And when they do happen, we still have to be just as efficient to deal with it. Well, it seems like it's a problem that we're still looking to solve. David Kane, thanks for talking with us today on Code 3. Thank you very much, Scott, for having me. And we put some more information on risk management in fire departments on our website at Code3Podcast.com slash risk. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. 
How much heat is absorbed by water when it turns from liquid to steam? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious. But it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the Bull Sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Here's the trivia answer. When water turns from liquid to steam, it absorbs about 970 BTUs. That's another one of those figures that you probably thought you wouldn't need once you got out of the academy. But bringing this stuff back up is my specialty. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you can join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.